welcome back to the Heads in the Game podcast. Turner is just up laughing because it's a Europa League Thursday and Antwerp have just beaten Tottenham, which, you know, Chris is not here to defend himself. But we've got a great show for you today. We're going to briefly talk about what's been going on in the world of football in the last two weeks since we last talked to you. Champions League has resumed. Premier League has quieted down a little bit after an absolutely insane start to the season. But I think easily the most important thing that's been going on is the discussions of the creation of a European Super League that have been around for years, but really seem to be kicking off and potentially reshaping the entirety of European club football as we know it. So we'll get right into that. Uh, but first, uh, you know, Champions League started last Tuesday. It's been, it's my favorite club competition, obviously. It's what fills my afternoons during the year. Uh, Arsenal, sadly, aren't in it this year. So, Turner, I know you've been more watching us from a neutral perspective, but there's been some phenomenal games, some great upsets. I think we'll leave uh, – I mean, we, we can talk about Shakhtar, Real Madrid, because that really kicked it off, and we'll get back to them later because of its implications for a European Super League. But, you know, right off the bat, first game day, we had some huge games, and it, it's really only – kept up because there are some phenomenal groups that are in this year's competition. Um, so do, what stood out to you, Turner? What do you want to talk about? Because, uh, I mean, we can obviously talk about what happened on Tuesday, but Wednesday, I think it really started kicking off. I mean, I mean, PSG Man United was a pretty huge result. Lazio, yeah. Dortmund, but, um, yeah. you know. Yeah, I think, honestly, when I was presented with the groups, um, the majority of them, other than Man U's group, were – two heavyweights and two nobodies, right? Um, which is, is pretty common. Um, but I think this year, there were a lot of groups. I mean, there are a lot of groups where, it, I mean, it's, it, you know, Chelsea's group, really there's, I can't see any winner other than other than Chelsea. So he has a good team, but uh, like Liverpool, Atlanta, Ajax, and then the, I forget what, what what even country that's from, Italian, whatever. Denmark. They're just, they're Denmark. Just, Denmark, yeah. There just seemed to be not too much competition and, and definitely some, some groups that, uh, like, like Group F, where uh, there's not even a real – other than Dortmund, who are, who are decent, there's not even an outlier. Um, but then, you, you know, you have the classic Group G with, with two heavyweights playing against each other, Barca and Juve, Man U, uh, PSG, Leipzig. So, I don't know. I, going into it, I, was, I wasn't as excited for the group stages. Of course, the, the knockout rounds just get – uh, even more more exciting but the first week uh definitely lived up to the hype with um you know teams really given the big the big or the smaller teams given the big uh sides some some trouble uh i think specifically the Shakhtar game was one that everyone highlighted especially with Shakhtar i believe having 10 of their starters with covid already so uh, uh essentially a, a second team Shakhtar team or second uh you know reserve Shakhtar side uh, up three three zero, right? Wasn't it three uh, zero against uh, Los Blancos? Uh, I mean, I had that that game I had everyone talking at half, and Real Madrid almost brought it all the way back. But the fact that they even had to be uh, looking at the game through that lens uh, is is pretty incredible. Um, and then yeah, the PSG Man U game was was massive. Man U looking like their season was already over. Uh, essentially, Ole saved his job as he always does does with a European performance, and then as we'll get to the performance on Saturday against Chelsea, uh, and what happened yesterday, or was it yesterday or Tuesday uh, against Leipzig? Yesterday. Yeah, yesterday, yesterday, which was, I mean, dude, uh, I, I don't even know what I don't even know what to expect. And 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 okay, again, yeah, we're, I actually, we're playing we're playing them this weekend, so I'm kind yeah. of shitting myself. Oh my god! But, Look, first of all. I don't yeah. think, you know, obviously he's a phenomenal footballer. Marcus Rashford, big ups. What an incredible few months that he's been having. You know, for those of you who don't know, this man is a very outspoken proponent of extending free lunch programs through holidays, through summer breaks, in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic that has meant, even in countries such as England, with very generous uh, government aid in terms of furloughing, paying furloughed employees, that has caused immense job loss, immense poverty. And he's been yeah. so outspoken and, you know, he's been Megan, you know, Leipzig, and he's also been fucking mugging off the Tories on his weekdays. So absolutely incredible stuff. 
um, that he's been yep. doing. And, uh, you know, what a shining example for modern footballers and one of so many. Yep. Like, I think, you know, we can talk about so many of these young English guys that are really, you know, making a name for themselves outside of football. And then to turn around and do a second half hat trick off the bench against Leipzig, this dude is absolutely flying. And he's, impo- he's a, like, honestly a footballer that's impossible to hate. You know, I hate, like, I, I have no love for Manchester United, but oh my, what a player, what a guy. And, I, you know, we don't really need to go like, day by day because I think United's performance in the Champions League has been, you know, nothing short of incredible. Yeah. Regardless of who PSG was missing in the midfield, to go and to face an attack of Di Maria, Mbappe, and Neymar with, you know, a player like Tron Zube who hasn't played in a year-ish and is just making his way back to form and puts in a spectacular performance against Mbappe. You know, obviously, uh, you know, Rashford gets the late goal in that as well. But defensively, so resolute, such a great performance. And then, of course, what they did to Leipzig yesterday, who are no slouches. You know, obviously, they don't have Timo Werner anymore, but this team were, you know, a semifinalist in the Champions League without Timo Werner. He did not play after the lockdown. They, they won the games they needed to. They're obviously a very strong team. They've got a fantastic manager with very questionable taste in suits, but... Oh, come really... on. You can't do that to Nag- with Nagelman. <laughs> yeah, Julian. Hey, he look. Yeah. He takes risks. He takes risks. He's risk. known for his, his form, right? He, is, he, at least in the Champions League last season, again, they, had, they, they definitely sold some players, but uh, he's so compact. I mean, talk about a manager I, I would love for my club uh, if Arteta, Arteta has a few rocky weeks uh, ahead. I mean, he is, he's so precise with his decisions and uh, his outlook on the game, especially defensively with arguably – you know, J- uh, Jamie Carragher calling for Upa Makano to be the Van Dyke uh, replacement uh, and uh, p- possibly the most promising center back right now, mm-hmm. uh, Dayo Upa Makano. Of course, I wish we had signed him when we were linked to him uh, a summer or two ago. So uh, 5-0 just really puts a, a you know, it was, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. And, um, and uh, yeah, I, I, as much as I hate Manchester United, I can't say enough about Marcus Rashford uh, and what he's doing on and off the pitch uh, and his, his uh, dedication to it. But yeah, the Champions League's been, been, been wild. Um, and the, the Barca-Juve game, I think was, uh, I watched a little bit of it. I uh, definitely wish Ronaldo was on the pitch. I'm glad he wasn't, uh, unlike Justin Turner. But uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, oh, first, big up Dodgers, big up Dodgers. Yeah, yeah. As two, two dudes from LA, uh, it has been a great week of sports for our city and year for our city. Not, not in other realms, but in sports, it's been pretty incredible. Wish we were back home for those celebrations. But. Uh, Looking at the the Champions League, yeah, it was uh, the the Barca game was uh, pretty resolute. Uh, Juve Juve's attacking options are insane. They got that Ukrainian Look, kid, Kiesa. Yeah. I'm like, who, what is this team? What is this? I, team? I, I, I will say, like, for all of Juventus's attacking spoils, which you know, Dybala coming off, who like starts some games, doesn't. This team looks so bad and this is I think the weakest Juventus that I've seen in this decade honestly um you know I'd put their chances of retaining their what is it ninth consecutive Serie A title at below 50 percent with how good Inter Milan is how good AC Milan is how good Atalanta are Lazio is right there but just you know look I, I know we doubted this the Andrea Perlo managerial signing like this dude has absolutely no experience and (laughs) but the team looks hapless they don't really have the driving force and also just defensively look their defensive core is like average age of 40 like you know I totally respect how Chiellini was able to come back from his knee injury you know we've got people like Benucci that have been out there putting in great performances yeah you know Chesney is obviously no slouch uh, but they just do, don't have the inspiration and they've really put so much on Ronaldo's back so that when he is, you know, out with, uh, you know, coronavirus and uh, calling PCR tests bullshit on Instagram. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it really yeah. shows. And, you know, Barca are obviously in a period of transition as well, but, you know, the individual totally. Br- totally. brilliance of Messi, the 
you know, the attacking options that they have, you know, Ansu Fati coming off the bench. Uh, uh, Frank De Jong, it looks so much more comfortable in this role than he did last year. So, yeah. I mean, that's obviously a good team, but I, I, I got to agree with you. You know, I think the amount of times that we're going to have the ability to see Messi and Ronaldo go up against each other is so limited now. And they're both reaching the end of their careers and they've, you know, dominated the last decade plus of European football. And I was really looking forward to them going against each other in the Champions League um, in the group stage. And hopefully both are fit and healthy for the second of those two matches. But, yeah, you know, yeah. you, you know, otherwise you know it's been sort of predictable in some areas you know Bayern absolutely demolished Atletico Madrid that was sort of unexpected and then struggled in Moscow but I think the group that you know we should talk about because it feeds so much into the discussion of the European Super League is a group that seemed to have two heavyweights and two fringe challengers and has now turned into I think what's going to be what has been the most exciting group so far and will, I think, continue to be given the implications of these opening results. And so this group is, of course, Real Madrid, Borussia Mönchengladbach, Shakhtar Donetsk, and Inter Milan. And it's a group that I think looking at it ahead of, it's Group B, looking ahead of it, we would have said odds on favorites are definitely Real Madrid. And Inter Milan, even you know Real Madrid have had a weird past few years, but you know they won the title last year. You know they did go out uh, against City, but like they're obviously no slouches. And then you know you brought up what happened the first match day. Um, the Motion Gladbach Inter Milan result was also pretty uh, surprising, I think, to a lot of people. Yeah. Given like yep. that team is a super talented team, but Borussia Motion Gladbach you know, no slashes themselves. Uh, I mean, Inter Milan, no slashes themselves. So they tied 2-2. So already off the bat, we've got nine goals in two games from this group. And then what happened this week in which Borussia Mönchengladbach went up 2-0 against Real Madrid. Real Madrid did claw it back. You know, you know, Luka Modric came in, settled things. They got some goals, uh, tied 2-2. And then Shakhtar, we're able to hold on for a nil-nil draw against Inter Milan, which now leaves us with Shakhtar Donetsk with four points at the top of the group, Inter Milan and Moshe Gladbach with two points, and Real Madrid with just one point out of the first two games. Uh, first of all, I mean, I know you're a huge Shakhtar fan. I love watching them. What an well, incredible start to the championship. Look, I know it's complicated. I'm, oh, a, gotta... I'm a Kia, Dynamo Kiev fan. Okay, uh, okay. But, uh, but in terms of putting Ukraine on the map, back on the map, European football map, I, I'm glad that uh, that Shakhtar is is doing well. Uh, the politics under Nets Garden are a separate matter, uh, we should say. Um, yeah. I mean, but, uh, look, look, I think it's yeah, they, they haven't played a home match in Donetsk <laughs> yeah. in six years. Let in the stadium. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kiev is hyped that they got twice the amount of games uh, at the Olympic stadium, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. And I, and I think, I think that's what's so interesting about this top, like the, not the introduction. Cause I feel like there's always been whispers of this, this European top league. Not that I don't know if you want to transition, uh, too yeah. soon to that. But I think it's perfect sure. timing. Um, I just, just with, you know, I, I just in terms of looking back at, you know, us having followed soccer pretty closely for the, at least the past decade. When I think about the big Champions League side, there were, there were times where the Champions League wasn't even a competition. And it, and it was these Xavi, Iniesta, Barca teams, uh, you know, Bayern at their peak with Muller, Schweinsteiger, the lot, Real Madrid with Ronaldo, uh, you know, Di Maria, not, I guess, Di Maria. I, but, like, just these Galacticos. We're, we're miles ahead. The group stage wasn't even a competition. And not that I necessarily was going into this Champions League predicting this, right? I don't think, I don't think anyone was predicting Group B, at least as dramatic as it has been. But we are looking at the Galacticos being not, nowhere near their, uh, as impressive as, as they usually are. And, and while you, you, of course, can point this to COVID and how it's affected the financial aspects of the game, but when... PSG is starting Moise Keane or playing Moise Keane and Moise Keane is uh, a dude who couldn't score for Everton is, is yeah, I will say man has been hitting man's been, no, 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 no. credit, credit words do. I'm just saying, Chad, man has been woeing at an immense, 
immense rate. Every, I mean, great celebration, but yes. yeah, yes. it's been pretty insane. But you know what I'm saying? With, 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 with Barca starting Pedri and having essentially their entire bench be uh, academy prospects, which it usually is, but not on the level of, you know, where literally I can't name a single sub. Uh, and 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 Barcelona Barcelona is not the example I should be pointing to, but the point is these these teams are not full strength. They are nowhere near, uh, in my opinion, at least, um, the separation between the the Galacticos and their uh, you know group table counterparts. They're 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 closer than they than they usually are. And again, you still have the Man City uh, looking insane, uh, Bayern looking like the uh, Bayern arguably the best team in the world. So there are the the the, the counterpoints. You can definitely play devil's advocate. But the point is, it, it, it feels a little ironic right now that uh, all this is being brought up, and Real Madrid can't finish their dinner, uh, and and all these all these heavyweights are looking more shaky. And again, we're yeah. seeing that in the Premier League. Which again, we've always said the Premier League is the most competitive league, and and I think uh, we all we all knew it was going to be a crazy year. But did anyone predict Villa having the start they did? Did anyone predict uh, West Ham losing their first three and then playing all heavy you know big teams and and essentially getting results against any of that every every one of them? I don't know. I, I think we're really seeing a weird time in football. Not a weird time, but just but but these the smaller teams slash the teams that have less funding are really giving giving it a go. Um, and and we're now seeing that on the European level, where I think uh, really we only saw that in the Premier League because the Premier League has been consistently competitive for years now. Um, but I don't th- – I feel – I don't remember a, a Champions League where really for uh, at least 60 to 70% of these groups, each matchup, whether it be uh, Atletico versus RB Salzburg, you know, like, like – uh, Austrian teams have a chance. Uh, Ukrainian teams have a chance. Uh, you know, I, I just, I just think it. I think it's, I think it's fascinating, and I think it's, it just is. It, I don't know. With with all all the talk going on, it's 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 kind of ironic. But we yeah, can go so more into the stipulations. Yeah, I, I think a draw that sort of summarizes this is, I think, the game I've most enjoyed watching of the Champions League thus far, which was this Atalanta Ajax game. And, you know, both teams are incredible tactical uh, displays. You know, the, their formations, the way they possess the ball, the way they move without the ball, the way that they vastly overperform given the, like, the players that you'd expect. You know, they, you know, Ajax loses their best players every single year and is still able to put together performances. Atalanta has taken a team of uh, functionally Serie A rejects and budget players and combined them with, certain players that they've been able to hold on to like Papu Gomez and turning them into a world beater. And, you know, Ajax were seconds away from being in the Champions League final uh, until they gave up that late Lucas Moura goal in the 2019 competition. Atalanta were minutes away from beating PSG um, in last year's competition. I don't think either Ajax or Atalanta would be in the European Super League. And, you know, obviously Shakhtar wouldn't. Uh, Motion Gladbach wouldn't. Uh, nope. Red Bull Salzburg wouldn't. Um, nope. Leipzig probably wouldn't. Um, so, you know, as people, as two guys who grew up in the United States, we've grown up with these closed competitions: the NBA, the MLB, uh, the NFL. And for the owners, this is obviously what's most desirable. It's you know, it means you can revenue share. It means that there's no threat of relegation. It means that there's no competition from within your own city. Like you never have to worry. I mean, like obviously there are teams with two city, two teams in one city, but that's very different than what happens in, you know, the Premier League or, you know, London or, you know, because I know it's never happened, but Arsenal could get relegated. Like they could get relegated in a season. Like it, like they need to maintain a certain level of development. Emphasize that it hasn't ever happened. Yeah, so, I know so it hasn't ever like, happened. Uh, right uh, now, it's invincible and that that we all, <laughs> that's all we got left. Continue, continue. Though. But you know what this means is co- co- competitiveness is worse. You know there is no tanking in European soccer. There is no Philadelphia 76ers. There is no process. And what that means is that, you know, when you need to 
key deliver a level of competition. And it doesn't just apply to the big teams. It's, you know, Aston Villa have to spend because they want to stay in the Premier League. You know, Atletico Madrid have to waive like go hundreds of million dollars into debt because they need to maintain competitiveness and not get points deducted because they're a private enterprise. And yep. what the European Super League is promising is financial stability for its owners, but it's also pr- promising an end to the competitiveness and the novelty that makes the Champions League what they are. Because the beautiful thing about the Champions League is not that the best teams play each other every week. Is that the best exactly. teams play each other occasionally, and then you play teams from all across Europe. And I think this is partly motivated by how you know, the internet and television have made soccer's audience more international than it has ever been. You know, more people around the world are watching the Premier League than have ever been. And I think these owners and these executives believe that those fans want to see Liverpool Barcelona every other week. They want to see Liverpool Real Madrid. When I think reality, so many fans appreciate the culture that these domestic competitions do. And I think it's really threatening what makes soccer beautiful, what makes football beautiful. It's threatening the culture that has built it so far. But at the end of the day, I think you're absolutely right. Like, that's just not, like, the competitiveness isn't there. And, you know, the beautiful thing about football is in 90 minutes, anything can happen. Truly anything can happen. There is no seven-game series. Even over a two-leg series, the better team might win more of the time. But, you know, Shakhtar beat Real Madrid. They went with 10 people out. They went to Madrid and kicked their asses. And yeah. Real Madrid had to fight back against Bruchemosh and Gladbach to not lose for the first two. You know, yeah. Bayern Munich fought off Lokomotiv Moscow. Like, these are games that are competitive. And these are games that get more people, I think, into the sport. It make, maintains that these clubs are representative of their city. And of the people that have, you know, for a hundred plus years work to make these clubs where they are. And I think a European Super League threatens that very fabric. And I think it's a bad idea for the game. And then of course, the reason we're talking about it now is, you know, Project Big Picture happened. We can get into that. But of course, Bartomeu, yeah, Bartomeu yeah, resigned from the Barcelona board and dropped the bombshell that they have accepted a spot in this European Super League, which, you know, Barcelona is obviously not owned by a billionaire owner. It's owned by its members. But them and Real Madrid are the two real exceptions to that. You know, I know Bayern Munich ostensibly are, but, like, they're really not. Like, they're backed by Audi. They've got that money coming in. But I think, you know, it's just bad. I think it's really bad for the game. I think it's bad for the way that the game is developing. And I truly hope I never see it. And I, but I think it's inevitable. There's, yeah, that, I think that's the main point, is that this is I, – I, and I, I can't help but think that um, the European game um, and the history of the European game has now been introduced to the numbers of, of – and the profitability slash the money behind – uh, American sport revenue and TV watching in, in, in the U.S., especially with uh, the NBA and especially the NBA getting so much more international volume. Uh, and and when they when you look at, I mean, the, this is I, like again your your point that it, it it was inevitable or it is inevitable is 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 the one to highlight because if you think about it, uh, there are the people who are trying to make money off of it, especially the owners. Uh, at least the owner, I'll speak to my club. Uh, Cronky would, I think Cronky again, sees up my, my club as solely an investment and one he can profit off of. Yeah. So uh, clearly Arsenal have lost a ton of money uh, considering or compared to, Oh my God, I'm going to forget the money. Wasn't it 20 years of Wenger successfully getting us uh, into the Champions League or something like that? He, we, yeah. we, we've been playing in the, the biggest European competition for 20, for 20 years. Uh, and, and everyone knows there is a financial compensation that goes with, with uh, qualifying. Um, and Kroenke has, I think Arsenal really been, in the past few years, have really been hit with the fact that we haven't been qualifying for that competition. And so now you're looking at an investor who solely sees their club as an investment saying, wait, so now I actually net like 
essentially you saw the club at, because it was this weirdly like a net, you know, and again, this is why I speak to Wenger's uh, uh, legacy. And, and while maybe I wasn't, I was happy to see him go, like it was a pretty incredible, remarkable achievement. But as an investor, if you see that there's this constant revenue coming into the club that suddenly isn't a lot, isn't, uh, is now determined by your results and, and is not within financial control necessarily, right? We, we spent 80 million on Pepe. We, we, spent, we spent a good amount of money. I, I think we could always use more. But the point is being that just because you buy big players doesn't necessarily guarantee a top four finish, especially in the Premier League where anything can happen. So now you have investors seeing this idea where they are spending the most money, but they aren't necessarily getting the most out of it, especially from TV revenue. And so now you're, there's, a, there's a system that guarantees them in that place, disregarding, completely disregarding um, their place in their own uh, domestic competition. And, and I think that's, it, it, so that makes sense. The idea, you know, the idea that investors want to uh, guarantee profit and guarantee revenue coming in, of course, it's, an, it's inherent that they'd want a way to guarantee that without having to rely on the if and buts and the unpredictability uh, of, of the Premier League. So, or, and again, this is all, all leagues, but I think the Premier League is specific. And again, we'll talk about the, the project big picture because I think, I think that also plays a, a hefty hand in, in uh, what's going on with, this, with our league, especially in England. But I don't know. I, I, I just think I, I, I just think it's inevitable, but it's, it's sad because it, it really does take away a lot from the game and what the game is made of, uh, is made for. Um, and, I, and I also think, Chaz, I'm, and this is an argument that you can possibly refute, but it has a lot to do with the, the I, I, I think, especially it being such a prominent point of conversation right now within the football community. It's all because of the fact that the fans aren't allowed in the games. The only way to watch the game is, is watching it. And, and those numbers are, are, are massive right now. Um, and we can talk about uh, the 15 pounds that people in England have to pay uh, to watch Premier League games. But um, it's pretty obvious that uh, people are realizing that football, uh, football is purely a capitalist endeavor. And if you can guarantee the big teams to be playing every single week, why, why, why would you, you know, you can definitely get people to pay 15 pound or even more to watch. Yeah. Like you said, uh, man, you play Bayern every weekend compared to man, you play Burnley, but what does that say about the domestic competition? What does it say about the history yeah. of these domestic competitions? Uh, and, and, and who is it for? It's not for the fans. I, I think it's for the, the, the investors. It's for, it's for the fans who don't actually have a legacy with the team. I, I don't think a single uh, fan from Manchester uh, would be for it. But uh, I would argue that, you know, possibly uh, Man U fans in, in other places that don't have the same historical tie, who don't have the father who grew up going to games. Yeah. Maybe see. I don't know. I mean, I, just, I totally I, agree I, with you. very international base. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you that that's their aim, but I also think that it's important to recognize that although I'm sure that those fans exist, there's also so many fans like us, like so many fans that find that, like, look, like I started watching Chelsea games because, you know, I wanted to watch a Premier League team and my dad had some marginal connection to like something to do with it. I was a big Robin fan in the for the Netherlands and that's the team he used to play for in the Premier League. And one of my dad's best friends, rooted for Chelsea but since then it's like you know you get immersed in the history you read books about Dennis Wise you you know the first time you go to Stamford Bridge is like an insane experience you like you watch the Europa League games like you know we watch every single game and we watch those games against Burnley we watch those and I think you know it's not just you know it's not the fans fault it's not the fact that the international game is fault and I'm sure those fans do exist and I just also think that at the same time, it is that, you know, over the last 20 years, the ownership structure of top European teams, especially in the English game, has changed in that now you have a lot more money coming over from overseas. There's a lot of American owners. There's a lot of owners now from East Asia. You've got Russian owners, you know, Chelsea you know, probably was started a lot of this. And it's that these owners see as just as you said, like these are money making operations that, you know, there are very clearly owners in the Premier League that are not football fans. Yep. 
that yeah. do not appreciate the like truly like the working class nature of the game. Exactly. And I totally agree is that, you know, if you can create a closed system like the NFL, like the NFL's ratings do not change. Like they have yep. created the perfect ratings vehicle. And it, when you see that money and you see the constant guarantees, and then you see coronavirus, which threatens, you know, the big clubs with a lot of money losses, but could potentially destroy lower tier football in yep. across Europe. Because those clubs depend on the paying season ticket holders. Those clubs depend on people, you know, buying concession stand things. Those clubs depend on people attending those games. And let alone what's going on to the businesses around these grounds. Yeah, Jesus. But it's, you know. And vice versa, just real quick. You know, and the fans relying, looking forward to that as their only yeah. entertainment that weekend. So, no, continue. I just, but I think that's an important point, too. It, it's, it's, it's a mutual beneficial system. Uh, and now it's clearly a one-sided system, right? But I think, yeah. I think especially with, with, with both the Project Big Picture and the Premier League, which I think we should just touch on a little bit. Uh, I, yeah. It's obvious that, you know, um, it's... Uh, I think Project it, Big Picture is a perfect example of this because, yeah. you know, throughout the pandemic in businesses around the world, business around the world, we've seen that the few that have the resources to be able to outperform its competitors that already dominated commerce around the world. And under coronavirus, they've only increased their margins, their, pro their profit shares, their market shares, the whole thing. You know, Amazon is doing more business now than they've ever done. They are dominating people. You know, the amount of traffic that is going through Walmart, the amount of traffic that is going through the big box retailers that can afford to shut down and open up which small businesses around the world can't. And the exact same thing is true in football. And for those who don't know the situation, the football league, the lower leagues of, the, of English football, which is the championship, League One and League Two, and everything below that need a bailout. Like these clubs, there are clubs that are gonna go under unless they get money from yep. the Premier League, from Premier League clubs. Like that's, you know, the government... You know, we can make an argument for the government to be involved, but at the end of the day, you know, there are clubs with resources and there are clubs that don't. And the clubs with resources for decades have depended on the talent that is being pumped, that has been able to matriculate through them. You know, whether it's, you know, how Delhi Ali came through MK Don's Academy and then went on to Tottenham. You know, it's how, you know, some of the great players of Chelsea came through and, you know, may have played at youth ranks, may have played a few games and then matriculated up to the Premier League. But at the end of the day, yeah. it's also part of the football culture. And the Premier League and Project Big Picture, which is now scrapped, the top six, which are Tottenham, Arsenal, Manchester City, Manchester United, Chelsea, and Liverpool, said, we'll give you a super generous bailout. We will give a bunch of money to the football association, but in return, we will get preferential treatment in voting, that our vote matters more than the other 14. And they didn't term, term it in terms of just those clubs, but those clubs are the ones who would be receiving those votes. If one of them got relegated, they would lose their spot to like Leicester or something. But those would be the clubs. And, you know, the lot, if that were to have happened, the Super League was an inevitability, even more so than it is now. Or they, would have, they also were pushing to shrink the Premier League to 18 teams to ensure that those big matches happen more and that, yep. you know, poor old Chelsea, poor old Manchester United don't have to go play at Burnley and, you know, go down and play Brighton because, you know, how no tragic. No more at Stoke. <laughs> no more cold nights at Stoke. Exactly. And it's, yeah. you know, it's, they took the moment and they got, you know, beat back. But in reality, they didn't. Like, this was just one of the plays. And then a week later, we get news that they are considering forming an independent European Super League, which, you know, FIFA are said to be involved in one iteration of it. Uh, UEFA obviously are huge opponents because it would destroy their premier club competition. 
But, you know, the capitalist desire to constantly accumulate resources has been exposed throughout coronavirus in ways that it has never been seen across the world. Like, I think, you know, people are, it's impossible to hide what is going on across the planet. And in football, we've seen it in such a nefarious and backhanded way, because it is true that these clubs do need help. And that to tie that to the creation of the European Super League is, you know, a pretty dastardly act. Yeah. It's, it's obviously, you know, a smart investment strategy because why would you want to go play at Burnley? But, yeah. you know, yeah. and I mean, I, mean I, I also want to bring up the 15-pound uh, yeah. pay-per-view Jesus. thing, which is, so like, you know, for also those who don't know, in England, very similar to the way the NFL works, in some aspects, you know, there are blackouts of certain games. And there are, for the non-nationally televised games over the past few weeks, the Premier League has instituted pay-per-view to go see those games through Sky for 15 pounds uh, a ticket. But, you know, we're, we're talking... Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I'll let you finish. Sorry. $20 USD around. Yeah. To watch, like, West Brom burn. <laughs> A, a one-one tie for twenty for fifteen quid. Yeah, I mean it's it's ridiculous. Um, and that you know, and and just to bring it back, in, in in case anyone had any doubts that it possibly wasn't about money, right? And and, and I don't think anyone's at that stance anymore. That's I think what makes this start to the Premier League and this start to the Champions League all the much better. It's almost as if the small teams were like. F you guys, we're still in this. Uh, we dare you, Man U, Man City, to come to Villa and get th- or Liverpool and get thrashed. We are, you know, we're teams too. Uh, we get the same amount of say, uh, and because we can, we can outplay you guys on our given day. And again, if 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 we were seeing year after year of the top six, top eight having like a 20 or 30 point differential from the rest of the league. Right. And the champions league, never seeing an outsider make it to the quarterfinals. Uh, but we're seeing, you know, teams like Atlanta, what the, the quarterfinals last champions league, what it was, it was Leipzig and, uh, and uh, what was the other outlier uh, and Lyon, right. So we're not seeing that. We're not seeing any proof that that's not the case. Uh, and if anything, it just see again. It it, it 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 clearly just looks like from a footballing perspective, like screw the money side or the, the financial side. It looks like the big teams are just kind of, kind of like we don't you know we we don't need to play these teams. You know they're, they're claiming that we don't need to play these teams because uh the 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 money's not in or you know that the, the the viewership isn't in it. But they can't beat the teams. They, they, they struggle right and 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 not that that is the real reason. It's not like. I, I would. I'm not suggesting that Man U and these big teams are suge- suggesting uh, the Super League because they don't want to have to go to the teams. But it only can look like that when you're not actually handling handling the business in real life when you're playing the domestic competition. So I don't know. I, I yeah, it's despicable. It's uh, it's frustrating, and honestly, it just seems to me like again, you're you're. Uh, I mean, again. I, I, I think it's inevitable with all the foreign investment. I thought that point of yours was is is again one that has to be highlighted, right? The fact that what, what team is, is Edward Ed of uh, Man U is is British, I believe, correct? Yeah, he's there. Well, yeah, so Edward Ed is, but like their you know corporate director, manager. but the Glaziers yeah. who own it are American. Yeah, they're American. Uh, and, and 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 remind me, Levy is Levy. Doesn't Levy own the club? Or is he? Le- because, Levy is the front of an like a group of investors he's he's british yeah yeah and he is british so so spurs might be one of the only outliers but cronky but cronky cronky liverpool Man cities in 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 saudi arabia liverpool's the u.s dubai dubai and, but yeah dubai my bad uh and and point is it's all for an investment and it honestly just feels like they're just trying to make the premier league like the mma or wrestling where uh, or we're basically the two heavyweights. They're you know the it's like Dana White being able to select who the top fighters in the world are and just pin them against each other because of course everyone wants to see McGregor Khabib every weekend, right? Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I 
and and that's real. I'm drawing that connection honestly because that's the first time I had heard about pay per view. The idea of every viewing having to be a separate payment is uh, yeah. boxing and wrestling. Uh, it's not yeah. even a, and that's also me not being a massive NFL fan. But the point is, is yeah. uh, also yeah. kudos. I mean, no, but they don't have pay per view. Like they, you know, NFL. You know, look, you watch on your local TV station. If you want to watch every game, you get NFL Sunday ticket. No one, yeah. no yeah. one would have in like in England would object to something like NFL Sunday ticket. Like that's like, look, like I pay money. You know, I, back when NBC Sports Gold was a thing, I paid money to watch every single Premier League game. You know, I pay for Peacock now to watch every single Premier League game. The ones they don't put yeah. on TV. You know, we can argue about that, but at the end end of the day, it's like I understand that the people putting up the TV rights want to make money. Like this of is course. like like that makes total sense to me. I wish it weren't like that, but it makes total sense. But for me, it's like you know we talk about you know Cronky, owner of the Rams. We talk about the Glaziers who own Tampa Bay. I want to say like they. Yeah. I don't know too much about Man U's financial system. Uh, yeah, yeah, they, they just own, use the Cronky example. No, no they, but they own the Buccaneers. They they own the Buccaneers. Okay. okay. Uh, you know, Fenway Sports Group owned the Red Sox. Yep, yep. If you are these people, and you look at what's going on in the United States, and it's like the owners have all the leverage. They they run the league. The commissioner is an employee of the owners. They make the rules. They can't get relegated. If, you know, Cronky, if he wants, he moves the team from St. Louis to Los Angeles to make more money. More revenue. Exactly. Yep. It's so in, if you're watching that world and then you look at the Premier League, it's like, I have to like risk my players getting injured by going and playing like Dundalk. I have to go play you know, a league cup game against a fourth round team. Like why are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers playing like the local high school in a football game? It's like, so because American owner, like American sports are so structured to advantage the owners that if you're like, as an investment strategy, it makes no sense why you'd want something, a free and open system. It makes no sense why you would want to reward the small teams that are able to challenge the big dogs because like, fuck them. They don't have enough money. They can't buy into the poker table. Yeah. The problem is, is that like from a sporting point of view, that's ridiculous. From a fan's point of view, it's not only just disturbing to not be able to watch your fan go up against these teams, but it's just exceptionally patronizing because, you know, these teams are built in, you know, struggle the roots of so many of these teams are like groups of workers that were like we want to go kick a football after work together and then a hundred years later they're playing in front of sixty thousand. Yeah, because there's actually a, a systematic way for lower league sides to make it big and and they're they'll never have that in the u.s right because that threatens the profitability of these teams the the, the idea of relegation even in the mls like the fact that the mls ha- doesn't have relegation and just has random investors like beckham just buying into miami you know what i mean like like that, and that, the, like the MLS is a perfect suck. example exactly the mls and, is a perfect example because there's no they don't reward i mean i know there's the the league the what what's like the the, the, isn't there a USL? Too, no, right? but here's the thing: USL, the so like there's the USL Championship and USL League One, but even those are closed systems. You can't get yeah. promoted from USL League One to the USL Championship, which is just like, and it, what it means is you get like you know fucking Cincinnati, who they just are like, oh yeah, we're just gonna like literally buy in. We're gonna get the ownership money. We're not gonna spend any money on our players, and the team is terrible. You get the Galaxy who were amazing and they just don't give them any money. Cause like, Oh yeah, we made our share and they're terrible. And so like you do have owners who like actually put in the work, who put in the effort and want to do it. But at the end of the day, it's just the competitiveness competitiveness isn't there. You get teams in the NFL that haven't made the playoffs in 20 years. Like, and look, they're still getting fans because there's no other alternative. But if you had P like, you know, if the Chicago bears got relegated, if like the Detroit lions had to play like against tier two teams. If the 76ers had gotten, you know, had to play in the G League 
after playing in it, after like being the worst team in the NBA for like three straight years and winning nine games or whatever it was, it's like, it just doesn't make it doesn't make the sport any better. It doesn't encourage new ideas. It's why the same fucking like 30 coaches just cycle around the NFL because there's so little avenue for like new innovation. You don't get people, you know, obviously some of the great managers like Pep Guardiola, like starts at Barcelona, but like Jurgen Klopp was managing Mainz and then goes to Dortmund and then goes to Liverpool. Yeah, You know, Frank Lampard is, and Mikel Arteta are obviously not who we want to be talking about in this, but you know, Sir Alex Ferguson was at in managing in Scotland and then takes over Manchester United for 30 years. You know, Julian Nagelsmann is going to be the next major hire of some big, you know, Premier League team. Mauricio Pochettino, fucking Mourinho comes from Porto. It's like a translator works his way up to become a manager then becomes a manager at Porto, wins the Champions League, then goes to Chelsea. And look, like there is sort of that cycle of top coaches, but there's just no innovation. You know, you watch an NFL game and it's the same game that we watched 10 years ago. Yeah. And, football, and there's no, the I mean, is changing. you know, we, yeah, there, there's no, and the, the, the argument that, um, you know, that, that if, if, if there is a league two, if there is relegation, like, who wants to see the lower teams play against the big teams and that like viewership will be down. I think I, I just, the, the idea that we have, I, I I'm somewhat of a giants fan. Giants fans right now are considering wanting the team to lose every single game so that they can get the first draft pick. If there was relegation, what, what, why do I want to watch my giants purposely throw games to try to get a chance at getting at drafting a Clemson quarterback who we have no idea like like it, like that the fact that that's a part of a, a game like the, there's actually a strategy and and a league that benefits if you are doing poorly so that like, like I, I don't know I, it just makes no sense it makes it makes actually if anything it, it's a reason why America has the most bandwagons because there's no there's no point following a team if they're doing poorly so you just hop on other another team so dedication there's no there's no history to any of these teams and it just makes us as a country look so unmotivated and and just kind of despicable compared to the fairy tales of of someone from Leicester telling you about their 2016 or or even god forbid someone from uh Sheffield talking about just getting promoted like there's there's none of that here and there's nothing there's nothing tying you to a team there's no history I'm sure yeah maybe if you're from Pittsburgh you you know you love your Steelers and and I won't take that away from you right but like I'm big up big up to the Green Bay Packers who this does like none of this applies to (laughs) Uh, again, we are we are we do not even remotely claim to be big NFL slash NBA enthusiasts, but I I just think it, this is clearly the, the, going back to the Super League. I I, I see it as uh, taking a taking essentially interna- international investors being like let's let's get the same numbers and and money from back home, right? Um, and 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 try to bring it to a league that they don't understand they don't go to any of the games i mean i mean cronky hasn't been to a game i think since the we won the fa cup against chelsea in like 20 what 2017 uh yeah that was the year i'm going on a rant the point is uh yeah it's just really sad and and i don't really know if the answer is bringing in uk investors right or or i mean i i guess again ideally but uh i i just think i just think it's really sad and and again if if capitalism wasn't already so inherent in our, our sports world this is this is this is i mean it doesn't get more obvious Jess. it really doesn't and i think it, i mean i think the biggest question right um is don't you do you see it not happening like i i i hope it doesn't but who has the voice who's gonna stand up to the money because it's standing up to the money and who has the power I, i'd say fifa right fifa and uefa but clearly i mean uefa will stand up to it but uh with the corruption and in, in that as well like that's a whole other talking point right so i don't know yeah you know, no one's I listening mean, to Shakhtar Donetsk's board saying wait but we beat Real Madrid <laughs> like no one cares about uh the, the smaller teams so i don't know i don't know i just think it's really sad i yeah i mean i think it's inevitable and i think part of that is you know the paper view vote it was 19 to 1 
And, you know, first of all, massive respect to Lester, who, you know, are truly like a shining example of a club in the 21st century. You know, they're owned by big Thai money, but, and, you know, you know like, their owner tragically passed away in the helicopter crash yeah. last season. And that was such a pain, not just to the club, but to the city, because, you know, his family has shown tremendous care and respect to their city. They've gotten involved. They fund things in the community. And, like, these football clubs are much more than just a team that can move under the fall of night. You know, like the Baltimore Colts became the Indianapolis Colts. You know, like, what happened to MK Dons? Yeah. When they were, you know, the Wimbledon Dons, and they moved to Milton Keynes, and the fans started AFC Wimbledon, and 18 years later, they beat MK Dons. Like, what an incredible story. And that, you know, won't happen in an American sports. And I think that at the end of the day, it's inevitable. It's tragic. It is a further, you know, turning of sports into just purely an investment vehicle that serves to enrich the privileged few that can pay enough money to buy into the poker table and that those other tables are going to feel the brunt of it. Like I cannot imagine the Premier League surviving. Like if these clubs leave, the Premier League will cease to be the Premier League that we know it. And it, you know, there'll still be a first division. There'll still be clubs. And, you know, I hope this still has an audience, but I think this is inevitable. I think it's highly damaging to European football. It's highly damaging to the football viewer. And most of all, I feel for the communities. I feel for the cities that are going to lose the soul of these teams because, you know, it's just not rooted in what these clubs have been for so long. So, yeah. yeah. Damn. Yeah. Just sad. Just sad. Um, Do you want to briefly touch on this weekend's games? Yeah. I mean, on that note, yeah, on that note, I mean, you know, but I think we 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 made the point, right? Uh, yeah, oh, I think sure. I think our perspective, the only reason we deserve that perspective is because we do know the world of of capitalist sports, right? That that's all we know. Um, and and not that that means that a fan of Arsenal for ten years should be able to talk about what what uh the club needs uh, and and the and and British football in any regard, but I. I it is it is saddening, um, and I, and I also just last thing I'll say I just really like the system we have now, right? I I really don't see why it's sad that teams are celebrating a top four finish, like like I like I I think that's pretty incredible, and and, and clearly that's something to to work for, and it's made it ten times more competitive. So I, I I the idea that the system we have right now is broken, I just think is so flawed, and I really I really enjoy. I think football. I mean, as it hasn't really changed too much since I started watching it, I, I, I see no real problem with it. Anyway, uh, we, got, we got some big games this weekend, uh, as we always do. Uh, but I think the biggest involves my team, um, especially with Arsenal coming uh, off of three out of four defeats, three, three defeats in the last four. Uh, tough games. I think every Arsenal fan will give Arteta that. Um, Leicester, Man City, and Liverpool are, uh, for most of the season were three out of the top four from last season. So, uh, and now we have Man U. Um, so I, I think it's a must win for Arteta. Uh, I haven't said that at all this season. Uh, if anything, I would have even taken a – if I had predicted a draw against Leicester slash we had gotten a draw, I thought it wouldn't have been the end of the world. But uh, given the performance in that game, a loss here, Chaz, would be – I mean, fans are already calling his name. And not that he he kind of avoided criticism. Uh, I think his big problem with the City and Liverpool game was just that he he, he just showed too much respect. He played uh, too defensive and uh, just got, yeah. I, I don't know, just, we, we had better performance or, you know, we, they, have, they have better players. But, uh, yeah, this is, this is a big game. And, and as much as three weeks ago I would have been hyped about this game, right? Uh, Jesus Christ, what a bad time to come up against this man youth side. Yeah, first of all, I mean, I think it's, you know, United's against game against Chelsea last weekend, very boring game. Like, both teams yeah. are sort of, like, defended, not a lot of creative op- opportunity. But United have shown that they can create, they can score. Arsenal seems so devoid of creativity in, you know, shot creation in that they can't get the ball to their forwards. When their forwards get the ball, they're not getting it in the right spots. 
their fullbacks aren't involved in the way you want them to. And it just seems so weird because, you know, it's such the stereotype of, you know, possession-based football is that, you know, you're just passing sideways and you're not creating strong opportunities. And it's, you know, Chelsea don't do this too. But under Arsenal, it's, you know, they're just not shooting. They're not getting shots. They're not getting opportunities. And it's not a refusal to pull the trigger, but they're not in opportunities. Like, like they're not getting opportunities. And, you know, it's, you know, the team is obviously missing a creative midfielder. Um, Ozil as a whole. Yeah. Ozil is just sitting at home, like tweeting about the games, like just tweeting about the games and delivering meals for school children. But yeah, it's, you know, it's a team that obviously is just lacking a spark that yeah. is sort of impossible to reckon with the amount of talent that they have in their team. Yeah, I, w- I will say, uh, I, th- basically, uh, you know, uh, Lester uh, under, uh, oh my God, how am I blanking on this dude's name? Uh, uh, Brandon Rogers. Brandon Rogers. Was that was a tactical masterclass against us? Because if you look at how Arsenal play, the way we score goals is we hope that you pressure us, right? Uh, because we're good at getting out of the pressure, but that involves a high line, you playing a high line, and you coming all the way to our box to attack us. Leicester, we're essentially like we're not even going to play a striker for most of the game. We're going to let you come all the way to midfield and just try to break us down. So we had possession the entire game. It was literally, I mean, Gabriel had, I think, more passes than anyone in the Premier League this season I, I, because it was just him passing it to the left back, then passing it back, him passing it to the center back. And so all it was, I mean, that's the big question for us is if, team, if, if, if there is no pressure to work out of, right, Arteta's mentality of being able to play out the back, that, that mentality and that, and that approach only works if, if there's high press. And, and so when that's all you train in, 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 you know, in training, that's all you work on is, is figuring out how to uh, pass between your center backs and then quickly creating a counterattack through possession-based football. I mean, then if you just sit back and put nine men behind the ball, and then when you got Vardy, of all people, who I scored, I think he scored like nine goals in six games against us. What now. did uh, What did I text you as no, soon I, as Vardy I, came on? I, I knew, I knew, like that was what everyone said, and you got it spot on. And I think I just was, wor- I was worried of that fact, so I didn't even. I, I we text, we were texting in the game. I said halfway, I said we look awful. I predict zero zero. Uh, I just didn't think. I thought Vardy would come on at halftime, um, and he didn't. Mm-hmm. No, I just didn't know how his fitness was. I didn't know if he'd come out very too late. Uh, but yeah, I mean, of course, Vardy is lethal. Um, and it took one over the top through ball to beat Jaka, who again was playing left center back because that's how Arteta has been playing him. But yeah, we have, we have no one, we have no one in the midfield who's able to take a risk. We're so afraid of giving the ball over and we've been taught and trained by Arteta to avoid situations with which you can get the ball taken from you. And then there's a counterattack for the opposing team because we're so bad at cap- defending counterattacks that we simply just don't make any, we don't, we don't take any chances. And when you've been playing Pepe essentially as a right mid instead of a right forward, uh, you know, our most dangerous players are just put out of position. And clearly, uh, you know, Aubameyang's position is a big deal now. Uh, he hasn't scored since signing the contract. Uh, I mean, the amount of me- the Chris sent me a meme that was, uh, you know, or not a meme, just the stat that Kane's been involved in 13 goals since Aubameyang's last scored. Uh, that's mm-hmm. pretty atrocious. So we got to figure that out. We got a lot of question marks, but uh, I don't know. I, I think, and I'll let you speak to this. Uh, it's been pretty interesting. I think at the beginning of the season, a lot of Arsenal fans were joking about how, or it looked like Ole and uh, Frank, especially with the amount of spending that at least Chelsea did, uh, were the two man- young managers who were in pole position to maybe not get fired, but were, but were, had the hot seat on them. And Arteta somehow, because of the FA Cup, which I think he's bought himself at least a year with that, uh, is somehow, you know, uh, unable to be criticized, especially by our fan base. But I, I don't see him in any different boat than Ole or uh, uh, Solskjaer or uh, Frank now. Uh, and, and yes, we play big teams, but the fact that we can't get results against that team slash we've like gone to thinking that those, those games are essentially unwinnable is pretty sad. Um, and I don't know, that, that, that's at least my take on it. I wonder what, what is your perspective on Arteta as, as, as a non Arsenal fan? I, I think I'd be interested to know. I mean, you know, I, I will say I, I'm not convinced by any of 
this of Arteta, Lampard, and Ole. And I think Good. Lampard and Arteta have the exact same problem in that they want every player to be the way they were. And I think that manifests in Arsenal and like the, the solid possession, the ability to control it, the like looking left and right, the control of games. In Lampard, he thinks every midfielder should score 20 goals. And <laughs> what it means is that like, the teams are structured in a way that just minimize risk. Yeah. And don't create. And it's so frustrating to watch as a Chelsea fan, and I'm sure it's frustrating to watch as an Arsenal fan, when you've got, you know, you know, Chelsea spot spent so much money on this attacking front line. You know, we're starting games with Werner, Pulisic, Havertz, Ziek has come into the side, and we're literally playing probably worse than we played last year, attacking in some games, and not yeah. even trying to create. And so, you know, I think my perspective is, I don't want any of these dudes to lose their jobs. I think they all, you know, deserve more time. But it's just like, I remain unconvinced of former players that come go basically straight into management. Um, I mean, Napoli just scored an absolute banger. Uh, oh, deflection, sorry. Uh, I mean, yeah. But, um, but without like, and Arteta's a little different. Like, obviously, he worked at City. He was a top assistant for Pep. But it just seems that there's like some – I don't know what it is. that they, they are good man managers. They're obviously gotten the team culture in a way that it wasn't before. I think that's clearly observable in certain instances in Chelsea, and I think it's observable with Arsenal too. You know, and United is definitely far more united than it was under <laughs> Mourinho. Or yeah. But, like, you watch, you know, Tottenham this season. You watch – you know, Inter Milan under Conte, you watch Liverpool, you watch City who are struggling, and the there's an ability to, like, insert new ideas. There's an ability to change systems. There's a spark. There's innovation. And I think that that's something that Arteta and Lampard are struggling with because once you, like, figure out, it's like, you know, once Leicester, like, yeah, we're just going to, like, pass all you want. Like, literally, you know, I will take as many Gabriel Jaco one twos as you can give me, but like yeah, yeah. once you try to get the ball to Aubameyang, we're gonna close him down with three dudes. And with Chelsea, it's like we will literally just sit back and then counter Jorginho. We will literally just sit back and like you know we'll get Reese James overexposed. We'll sit back and like we'll wait for Zuma to dive into a challenge. Like Havertz, yeah. Havertz, okay, man. Like, try creating a bunch of space when you've got 10 people on Claire and Blue in between you and the goal. So, it's – I don't know. I think that the creativity is missing. I remain optimistic about all of them. But, you know, it's it's just hard to watch at points. And it's obviously – and my thing is, you know, I just hope they learn. Because as a football fan, you can tell when they're not. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we'll see. And and again, I, I think Ozil's omission, I mean, anything but five goals a game is just going to lead to question marks about that decision. So, yeah, it's tough. I I think also just our, our Arsenal's attack has always been uh, like, just, just, I, I just miss a player like Santi Gazorla. I mean, Jesus Christ, like uh, what, what I would do for, for someone like that uh to to be back on our team but i don't know yeah it's 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 tough uh let's just i'm just looking at the the rest of the games liverpool west ham jesus i I don't think i've seen west ham play a non-top six team this year yet uh so we'll see how that goes uh burnley chelsea that'll be a lot of what we're talking about burnley sitting back so i wonder i don't know what your prediction for that game is are you predicting a win i mean i hope so man if they don't (laughs) i've got serious like like man like, oh, my God, if we can't beat Burnley, they're so bad this year. They're so bad. I know. I know. They literally can't. This is the team also that Christian Pulisic scored his hat trick against. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I believe. Yeah. And another thing, just real quick, that I think, I mean, uh, I don't know how much too, – we don't have too much time left. But, dude, recently I, I, I've been listening to stuff, especially with Kane's son, watching that Burnley game against Spurs. 
I, I, for the first time in a while, I really do have to admit that that Spurs are looking again, dude. They look they have so a bad sick. Today, but but like, if you really look at their squad, holy shit, Chaz. I mean, if they had a actually decent academy, right? If they had a Sokka or a, a or just some base players in a few positions that were just a little bit more exciting, I mean. Jesus Christ! Even the even the Vinicius dude. I don't know what game I watched, but he looked good. again. I, they must have been awful today, and that's definitely there. The the problem with them is just how inconsistent they are, and 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 the game against West Ham, like they, they clearly have problems. But I, I mean, I I loved it last season when I was able to say Aubameyang was a lot better than Kane uh, and Son. But Jesus Christ, does Kane look like a machine? And uh, I'm I'm worried. I'm worried. I don't think title yet because of the inconsistency. But I I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know. But dude, this year City look bad. Liverpool don't have Van Dyke. Like, oh, it's I. I mean, like, like obviously the ability to go up three 0 in a game in in the 82nd minute and tie will continue yeah. to dog Spurs. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it's very interesting what's going to be on. I, I do think we do have to call it. We've got we so do. much more to talk about in the next few weeks. Uh, we'll be back soon. Uh, this was a longer episode just because there's been so much to do in the front of the European Super League and the way that that's affecting us. And, of course, the Champions League's return. Um, Europa League games are wrapping up right now, but there'll be a lot more action in the coming weeks. Um, and, yeah, stay safe, everyone. Uh, stay COVID-free. Uh, I hope my power doesn't go out tomorrow morning. And I'm looking forward to my Spanish test on Halloween. Other than that, great week. Turner, uh, thank you so much for joining. Uh, Look forward to watching this game. I'm sure we'll be texting throughout. And next episode, hopefully, we'll have a little more people on. And thank you all so much for listening. Subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Our website is Heads in the Game. Our Twitter account, new and active, also Heads in the Game. And on that note, we'll leave you like that. Thank you so much. Thank you.